Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Dan is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and click on the Listen tab. There you can download the Crosswalk Notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Dan. We are living at a time when reality television shows are a reality. And look at them, some of them are also the reality show off the air, but competitions. And so as you look at some of those shows, even Idol Now is off the air, but uh, The Voice, all of the talent, or even shows like the, in which there is someone who at the end of it is going to show a winner, even uh, like a Dancing with the Stars, whatever it is, whatever type of reality show you watch, that, that there's someone at the end who's going to be a winner. And so my question for you is, when you watch the very first episode of the season, do you think you know who's going to win? So, so you listen to all of the people and, and that, that sing, or you look at all of them that perform, and on that day, I'm guessing all of you, if you're like me, you know the ones that you like and the ones you don't like. But do you have that confidence that on that day, the very first time, you know who is going to win? And I'm going to guess that, that the answer to that is no. Now, you might know who's going, to, like I said, to lose. That, that you're able to identify the people who don't have any talent. That you are able to identify the, the men or women on The Bachelor, Bachelorette who are totally crazy. That there's no way anyone is going to pick them. But, but even the person who's the, bachelor, the Bachelorette, they don't just give them one rose on the first television show. They give them a number of roses, and for that reason, they, they, they have this pool that, that those who are pretty good, or at least candidates, and slowly, over time, by having dates, or, or going on these events, or uh, as it gets down, and you narrow it down, they go to meet the family. That's when they really begin to see if, which one of those people, if any of them, is the one who is the one. Now, I, I want you thinking in, in those terms, as you listen over the next, really it's going to be over the next three, four months, as we go through Jesus, Son of God. And the reason why is because John, who, who wrote this, and, and who wrote many of the different chapters we are going to be going through, that at some point, I'm sure someone asked him, how do you know that Jesus is the one? How do you know that Jesus is the Son of God? At what point was it when you recognized, you saw Jesus, and you said, he's, he's true God, and he, I believe he will take the sin away from the world, and all of his promises are true, and he is going to, to take me to heaven to be with him. That if you were to ask John, did you know it on the first day that you met him? When, when someone pointed him out or when you listened to his message that first day, were you completely convinced that Jesus is who he said he was? Jesus, the son of God. And I have to believe that John's answer would have been no. That, that he would have said on that day, 
I don't know if I could have said with 100% certainty that, that Jesus was the Son of God. And the reason why I say that is because in John chapter 20, at the very end, after the resurrection, after everything, John says these words. He says, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing may have life in his name. And in essence, what John is saying is this. There might have been one thing or one time when all of a sudden it all made sense and and this idea of belief and trust that I, I trusted in Jesus. But the reality of it is he gives 20 chapters of incidents that happened that, that sparked faith, that nurtured faith, that grew his faith, strengthened his faith, that got him to the point where he was when he wrote his gospel at the end of his life, or, or, or where he was when he wrote it. The reason why I bring that up is because as we go through this today, we are on a journey and I'm not going to ask anyone here, there, there are people here who are skeptics who, who say, yeah, I get there's this Jesus, but I don't know if I'm ready to say he's the son of God. I don't know if I'm ready to say he is the savior. I, I'm, I'm not ready to say exactly what I think about him. I, might even, I don't even have enough information. And that's okay. My encouragement to you will be keep coming and, and listening so at least you're educated on on what you do or don't believe. But then there might be others of you who say, no, I do believe Jesus is the Christ. I believe he is the son of God. And if I were to ask you why, you might give me a blank stare and say, I just do. I just believe because I believe. And if that's the case, I, I believe that your faith, because of what God has given us, can, and maybe even I'll say should, have more substance to it. Because there are reasons to believe. There are reasons. God doesn't want us just to have blind faith to say regardless of who Jesus was, regardless of what has happened, you still should believe no matter what. But rather he gives us his word and we're going to see he gives different things that happen in Christ's life. And, And specifically today, magnificence like none other. That Jesus, as, as they would have looked at people who were religious leaders, people that they followed, people that they, they understood, that Jesus, over time, just rose above all of them by the things that he did. That's what we're going to be looking at today in John chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at two different events. Uh, they happened at separate times. It wasn't like on the same day. There, there was a period of time in between One of them was Jesus going to a wedding where he changed water into wine. And the other is when Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, went to the temple and was upset with people who were selling things and ripping people off. So he threw their tables over, he made a whip and drove them out of the temple. Two different things, two totally different things that John, the writer of this gospel, would say showed Jesus' magnificence that was unlike any other. So we begin, John chapter two. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. 
Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. Now, as we look at these words, first thing I need you to do is forget everything that you know about weddings, okay? This, this is not wedding at 2 o'clock, service done by 2.30, maybe 3 o'clock. If you're on the select list, uh, free open bar from 5 to 5.30. And then the, the meal, the reception, uh, bride and groom leave by midnight, wedding is over. I need you more to think in terms of a summer 4th of July family picnic that goes from Friday at 5 o'clock till Sunday at, at 11 at night when there's fireworks. So this is, this is not just a, a one-time deal. This is an event. This is an event where everyone in the family is there, and, and the wedding for, for, for Jewish people is so different. There, it wasn't just a one-day event. There were three C's that, that were part of the wedding. I have them written down. There was the contract, the consummation, and the celebration. And this would have gone over months. And the part that we're looking at is the third C. It's the celebration time when everyone would get together. Sometimes what they would do, and, and a, a culture that I was, uh, had the privilege to, to be part of and uh, get to know and had a, a friend of mine who was a pastor, he, he was Hmong. And uh, he is still Hmong, actually. And anyways, when, when they had his ordination into the ministry, he invited me to come with the family. And there were about 35 of us. This is crazy, now that I think about it. We killed two cows in the field. I mean, like, shot them in the head, killed them. Then, then we put them on plastic, and we completely butchered them where they dropped. Then we, we loaded all the big pieces up into the back of a pickup truck, drove to his house, we, we cut the meat from these two, and oh man, and these, now that I think about it, it's crazy, the, a, a lot of the women then, what they did is they grabbed like the intestines, the, um, all the insides, they washed them, cut them up, and in the next four days for his ordination, we ate two cows, thousand pound cows, completely. And when the food was gone, the family left, and the party was over. It was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. That is what this wedding would have been like. And so as all these people are here and they're planning for this event and it's going to last a long time, someone comes up and, and, and says it's made clear with all of this planning and everything that's gone in, we're short on wine. And if we're, we're short on wine, <laughs> everyone's going to have to leave. I mean, that the party is, is going to end for a number of different reasons. One of them is, is because wine was such a staple drink for these people. It, it wasn't like our wine. This isn't like the quarter barrel just ran out. What are we going to do? Although it might have been kind of like that. But, but the situation they were on, first of all, it would have been hugely embarrassing for, for the couple. That, that that would happen, first of all. Secondly, is that in a Jewish wedding... Wine was symbolic for joy. 
And so when wine runs out, the joy runs out, it's kind of like saying, I wonder how this wedding's going to turn out. Uh, it's gonna, and it would have just been all of this that was involved. And at this time, Mary goes to Jesus, and for one reason or another, had Jesus done miracles before this time? We're not told. None are recorded in the Bible. John tells us this is the first sign that Jesus performed. Or was it that, that Mary knew that Jesus was a prayer warrior? Go to the Lord in prayer and see how the Lord answers your prayer. He always answers your prayer. We don't know. But we do know that Jesus answers, and, and his answer might be a little puzzling when he says, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. A better way of, 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 or a more clear way of understanding this is Jesus said to her, what does your work have to do with my work? And, and I want you to think about that. Jesus is asking her, what does your work have to do with my work? Mary was worried about what did she want done? She wanted Jesus to get more wine. Why? So that they would be able to have the wine and the, the marriage feast would continue. What is it that Jesus' work was? To go to the cross to pay for sin, to show himself to be the son of God. Why? So that people would believe in him and have life in his name. And so the question is a really good question. What does what you're asking for have to do with why Jesus came? And that's an even better question for you when you go to the Lord in prayer. I already told you to fill out the prayer request on the communication card, right? And so we go through tons of requests. And all of those are what? What do you want? What I want is a new job. What I want is uh, less stress in my family. What I want is my marriage to improve. What I want, all of these are what? Whatever you're going to write, whatever the thing is that's on your mind, whatever reason it is that you're going to the Lord in prayer. And that's fine. But then the question is why? So I can have a better wedding reception? So that I can have an easier life? So I don't have to suffer? And if that's the only reason, then I ask you, what does your life have to do with Christ? What does your work and requests have to do with his? Because this is the way that it works, and this is the way that Christ works, is that in our lives, when there is suffering, and when there are things that cause us pain, he does want us to go to him in prayer, but it's not just to make them stop so we can have a happy life. But all of these things happen. What does Jesus' work have to do with our lives? So that when we suffer, we go to him and go to him in prayer and recognize he not only has the power, but we're able to recognize him as the one who answers prayer. And we're able to recognize him in our lives as the one who he is, Jesus, son of God. And that is the place where, where Jesus lives that, that difficult place where, where Jesus lived definitely in his life between the spiritual and the physical, understanding that we are physical people and we have needs, and also understanding that we are spiritual people, but the problem is we tend to focus on all the physical and forget the spiritual. In the blank you can write, Jesus lived at the intersection of physical and spiritual. At the intersection of physical and spiritual. 
I want you to think a minute about why Jesus would not want to do this miracle. Okay? There are, there are six pots that he's going to fill, that he's going to change water into wine, that are roughly 30 gallons apiece. There are about five bottles of wine in a gallon. So Jesus did the math. I did the math. I'm not doing it right now in my head. Jesus roughly made 900 bottles of wine. And we're told that it's good wine. So good wine, yeah, if I go get a good wine, seven bucks, you think, somewhere in that neighborhood for a bottle of wine? <laughs> okay, five. Anyways, that you figure, okay, let's say, let's say $30, whatever. That would mean that Jesus gave a $27,000 wedding gift. Do you realize how that would impact his ministry? Maybe I'll put it this way. Did you know if you want a marriage done at Crosswalk, I will do the wedding, or Pastor Jeff will do it, and when Pastor Jeff performs a marriage, he gives a $27,000 gift to the bride and groom. (laughs) I did my last wedding at Crosswalk. (laughs) Jesus would be invited to every wedding, right? Jesus, you gotta come to my wedding next. Jesus, and why? Because I want that good wine. And I want, is it because, Jesus, I want you to share the message. I want you to share how forgiveness can help us in our relationship. I want you to bring God's love in because that's the greatest gift and joy you can truly bring in a marriage. No. No. What does your work have to do with my work? We continue. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So even in that, she has faith. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used for the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. We said 30, all right? Uh, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you saved the best till now. So Jesus, Jesus performs this miracle and saves the day, right? And, and, and does it in, in such a wonderful way. I want you to fill in the blank first. You can write, Jesus' work is always magnificent, like none other. Magnificent, unlike any other. Okay, I want you to think about this in a number of different ways. First of all, I want you to think of it in terms of how much wine he made. That Jesus does not have a scarcity mentality. He, He doesn't say, why don't you fill one, and when that's out, come back and talk to me, and we'll see if we need another one. I fill all six up. How, how God gives in abundance, right? That he, that, that he gives so generously. And think about how he does that in our lives, in the world in which we live. We don't want to lose that about our God and definitely not about Jesus, the Son of God either, how he does that so generously. Secondly, okay, if, if this is a situation where you know, that you're uh, 
a person is, you know, put in in today's, if a person says, oh, we're out of beer, we need more beer. Here's $20, go and get the cheapest beer they have. Get some bush light and, uh, you know, or, or whatever's on sale. That, that's the mentality, right? That, that we, we got to do this cheap. We got to do this on a budget, not God, not Jesus. That, that, that when they taste this, it is incredibly good. That, that it's so much so that as they taste it, they, they say, we've never had anything like this. This is the best wine we've ever had. Now, I suppose, just as an aside, that, that as we look at this, again, want to make sure we're not condoning drunkenness in any way, and nor was Christ. But again, that does not change the fact that he was completely generous. His magnificence also in caring for this young couple, right? Just getting married, just getting started out, we're in need. Jesus came to them, was magnificent in his generosity, And God has also been that way to you. And my encouragement today would be to maybe look back at your life so you don't miss it. Look back at the times where God has not only given you something, but God has gone over the top, crazy, with the way that he has blessed you, maybe with relationships, maybe with whatever it is. Whatever it is where you see God has blessed you far beyond you could ever ask or imagine. A second thing about this, this that we don't want to miss is that the couple who got married, it doesn't seem like they even knew that Jesus did this. Did you notice it goes from who knew? The servant, Mary knew, the servants knew, and the, even after that, the, the master of the banquet and the groom, it, it, we don't even know for sure if they know that Jesus did it. And Jesus wanted it that way because, because for a number of different reasons, one of them because what does this work have to do with my work, that Jesus didn't want this to complicate the teaching he was going to have to do for the next three years. He didn't want people coming to him just for wine, but rather for that teaching. But yet who did know? John knew. The disciples knew. They saw what was going on and what an impact it had on them and on their faith. So, the second point of this section would be, uh, not one to write that down necessarily, is think about the times where Jesus has performed magnificent things in your life that you haven't even thought about. The times when you're healthy, when you don't thank him, as opposed to the times when you're sick, where, you, where you, you, you go to him and say, Lord, help me, I'm sick, I don't want to be sick anymore. The blessings, the things that are there that, that happen every day, those things that continue day after day after day, the reminder, we have a magnificent God who cares for us. And then we go to John 2, verse 11. What Jesus did here in Canaan, Galilee, was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. His disciples believed in him. And you can go ahead and fill in that blank as well. Jesus' works and words created and strengthened faith. This miracle, it it was such a private miracle. A a number of people were affected, but it was a situation where where God's hand was evident 
And they were able to see it and they were able to give God praise because of it and their, their faith was strengthened. I don't know if you think in these terms in your life or, or see these things happen in your life as well. I have seen them so many different times where I'll just say it this way. People who should not be alive are sitting in the seats in this building and it's nothing short of miraculous and the work of God. And, and those are the words of the doctor. That, that I'm not talking that, that it's someone, oh yeah, we just need to give them the medicine, they're gonna get better. I mean times when the doctor has looked at these people and said, you are going to die. Get your house in order. Medicine has nothing to offer you. You are going to die. And, and these people had nothing to do but go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, help me. Will, will others for you here pray for me? And through the grace of God, it, and, and those are the miracles that seem in many ways are those private miracles, right? Those private ones where we see, and then it's kind of, it's my story that I share. And it always seems to lose something in translation, right? That, that, that it's, it's almost like God did this, especially for my faith strengthening and, and, and just being there was incredible. That's what God does for us today as well. Creates and strengthens faith through the power of his word and the promises that he gives through Christ and also by continuing to work today in ways that are simply magnificent and amazing. All right, take a deep breath. We're going to go into the, the other one, the, the, a little bit shorter one, and that is, so we're changing gears now from this miracle to a, another situation, and this is now a number of months later. Jesus is going to uh, a festival down at the temple in Jerusalem, so this would have been, well, I'll put it this way. It, it was Jesus going down to heal, Jesus walking to Hila Bend for the sacrifice, okay? So that's about how far away it was. So that will help us as, as I read through this section. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Just going to stop there for a second, okay? Just, we'll get back into it, but just stop there for a moment. To help you understand this, as I said, it would have been a way to go to Jerusalem. They said go up to Jerusalem. That's because it would have been up on, uh, up on a mountain, so that's where they would have gone. But it was a walk, and it, it could have been a walk, depending on how far you lived, it, it could be 70, 80, 90 miles in that neighborhood. And when you went there for the Passover, what you would need to take, many people would need to take, was a lamb. And so the lamb would be part of the sacrifice. A, a lamb was a very important part of, would take, of what would take place. So if you live that far away, 100 miles away, the thought process in your head is this. Do I want to drag a lamb 100 miles to sacrifice there and, and to, to use, or do I just want to take money, go down there, and buy one down there? 
And most of the people who live farther away would have said, you know what, I'll just buy one when I get there. Which had the people who sold lambs down in Jerusalem going, all right, we have a captive audience. We, we have people who are absolutely, they have to buy from us. And what we can do is if we set up in the temple, are you kidding me, that we can go in there and, and they have to buy it from us. And anyone who's had to go in and buy t-shirts at Disney World or wherever or go in, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's amazing how the prices tend to go up uh, as convenience goes up as well. And so this is the situation. So I, I just want to make it clear. Jesus is not unhappy or, or very frustrated with these people just for the fact that they are helping others out by, by selling these, these lambs and things like that. But, but what has happened is, is now this is, they're ripping these people off and the whole atmosphere and experience has turned into to one as a market rather than a place of prayer. Okay, one other, one other illustration I'll share of that is this. Some of you have told us, my wife and I for our 25th went to Italy. And the one thing, I'm like completely cheap, the one thing that I was willing to spend more money than I'm going to admit on is going to the Sistine Chapel. I'm like, through all of this, in Rome, I'm going to St. Peter's, I am going to go to the Sistine Chapel, and I was looking forward to a, I'll just, a religious experience. I was. I really believe that, that I can't wait to be in there and to look at the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, see God's plan of salvation, and to just soak it in and spend some prayer time there. If any of you have ever been there, well, first of all, I would say it, it, I'm glad I went, but it was a horrendous experience. There was never a time when a person was not this close to me, pushing me through as I was walking along, and constantly people on a microphone saying, please be quiet, this is a house of prayer. Uh, please do not take any uh, photography. Please be quiet. This is, as I was there, I'm thinking, are you kidding me? And, and it made me realize this goes on from start to finish during the day that we're talking about tens of thousands of, if not more than that, people per day. It's like 250 bucks a person. It, it turned that into a non-religious experience. Into, it, it, I felt like I was getting robbed. I was, legal robbery. And, and I paid it. And you know what? A part of it was, what are you going to do? That's what was going on, and Jesus said no. That is not what this is about, and that's not what this temple is about. We continue. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show to prove your authority to do all this? So they're not saying Jesus is right or wrong. They're just saying, who are you to tell us to stop doing this? Uh, Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it, in, it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed, then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Do you see how this connects to the other passage now? They saw the miracle, they believed. Now they see Jesus, and, and he's giving a prophecy, the prophecy about his death and his resurrection in the temple. And, and again, they believe 
Jesus' words that create and they strengthen faith. In the blank, you can write, the temple was always meant to point to the Christ, to Christ. His greatest act of glory, his greatest act of magnificence would be his rising from the dead. And that's why this was such a big deal, why Jesus was so, so upset, is the temple was the place where a sacrifice was made. The lamb was killed, and, and the blood was put on the altar to show that, that blood must be spilled in order for sin to be paid for. And this temple this, and the sacrifice that was being done was meant to point to him. It was meant to point to the cross and the work that Jesus would do. And what had happened is now in the middle of this, as they're selling all these things and, and all of this business is going on, that they had forgotten what God God's business was. And God's business is the forgiveness of sins. Do you see this? What does your work have to do with my work? Jesus is asking the same question. How is what you are doing with these lambs in the temple, what does that have to do with the work of of the payment for sin, the substitution, the death that needed to be paid? How is this pointing people to their God? How is it pointing them to the forgiveness of sins? And the answer is it wasn't. And even as they, as they challenged Jesus' authority, he said, I'll show you my authority. And my authority will be my resurrection from the dead. All of which were ways that John remembered, recalled, and believed, recognizing who Jesus was. The Christ, the Son of God, the one who had come to pay the sin for all. And then finally, John chapter 2. 23 to 25. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. So Jesus is here doing his work, and he didn't need approval of everyone else in order to continue to do what he came to do. He understood his mission. And he was on it. In the blank, you can write, Jesus knows and cares about what is in our hearts. What's in your heart? We care for our hearts as we explore him. He knows and cares what's in your heart. We care for our hearts as we explore him. All right, Christmas gift. I know it's past Christmas, but strangest Christmas gift I got was from my mother-in-law who gave me a Koran. And, uh, it was, and the reason why, she lives in South Dakota, and they have had uh, a large segment of Muslim people move into their town. And she said the, the, that what I need to do is I need to read this and understand what they, what they think and what they believe. She said, I think you want to do that too. So I am uh, on a Koran reading plan. And just see, see what it says. If you are someone who does not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, I would ask that you give the same latitude to the Bible. This week, I have received more friend requests on YouVersion, which is the Bible app that I use on my phone, listen to it every day, than I have on any other day that I've, uh, or any other week of the year. And that is what I mean when I talk about the exploration that I ask you to do. Whether you are someone who, who is skeptical, maybe you are someone who says, no, I already believe it. Well, then be educated. 
Be educated on what you do or don't believe. Take time to explore Christ. Hear from his own mouth what he has to say. See through John's eyes what he has done. And I believe that as you continue to have this relationship and and as you begin to explore him, you will see him as he truly is. He is magnificent like none other. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you for the gift that you have given us in Jesus Christ. Uh, We know that as we go through life that a lot of times the things that we are most concerned about, physical things, things that we can see and touch, and they're just not the things that are most important. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to take time to look at the things that are your business, creating faith, assuring us of your love, helping us see that our sins are forgiven, restoring relationships with God and with others. All of these things, Lord, are are things that you do freely and lovingly that show your magnificence. Now, Lord, in, in this next year and through this series, help us to see you as you are, Jesus, the Son of God. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Remember on those reality TV shows that as if you put yourself through the pain of watching a whole season, it becomes obvious who the, the, the winner is, who, who the one is who's going to win. In the same way, I encourage you, I beg you to take the time to spend time with Jesus, spend time with God and his word. And as you do that, he does the work. Uh, he is the one who shows himself who he truly is, Jesus, the son of God. And as you go, go with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen.